let's open up our Bibles over to Acts chapter 13 today. Acts chapter 13. I believe what we are covering today is one of the most thrilling teachings in all the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I would rather preach on this than anything else in all of Scripture. Now, I love preaching all of Scripture. Okay, I love going verse by verse. But this is the thing that so catches me and captures me and blesses me and motivates me as a believer. And all we can do with this is basically just fall to our knees and thank God for this incredible salvation we have. You know, when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable, undescribable gift, he was referring to this rich salvation that we have in Christ. So today we are going to look at what I call the scope of salvation as we continue our series, Secure Forever, God's Promise or Our Perseverance. Of course, it's God's promise. Now, listen carefully today. If you have not been raised up in this church, I dare say you're going to learn some things today that will really, really help you get a handle on what it means to be saved and how that salvation works. The scope of salvation. When a person trusts in Jesus Christ as his or her Savior, he is born again, according to Scripture, and begins the Christian life. It is not an end. It is a beginning. That right there is a conflict between religion and true Christianity. See, religion teaches that heaven is the goal. Christianity teaches that heaven is the beginning. Huge difference between the two. Hand in hand with the permanence of salvation stands the scope or the nature of salvation. So when I say today the scope of salvation, I'm talking about the nature of salvation. There are three aspects we need to understand if we are to be balanced as Christians in our theology and spiritually healthy in our daily lives as believers. And we're going to look at them briefly today. I'd like, honestly, to spend a week on each one, but I, I feel it's important to put them together today in one message. So the first one is this, and we've touched on this in our study already. Number one is this, the truth of justification. The truth of justification. Now, this is sometimes called the past tense of salvation. It has been said, and I think it's a good description, that salvation, biblical salvation, is three tenses, past, present, and future. All of them are true as we speak today. This is something called the past tense of salvation. The moment a person believes or trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior, listen carefully, he has been saved, past tense, or delivered from the penalty of sin. Listen, friend, our sin brings with it a penalty, And in God's economy, there is no such thing as a venial sin and a mortal sin. Every sin is mortal. From a wrong thought to jealousy to murder and anything in between. It is all sin. Every sin brings with it the death penalty. Every sin is enough for you and me to spend forever separated from God in hell. Now you might say, well, I don't, I don't believe that. Well, you're calling God a liar because this is what the Bible teaches. See, sin is a serious thing with God. He's serious about it. We love to talk about the love of God and the grace of God, and we're going to do that today. But what about the justice of God? What about the holiness of God? 
We break his laws and commandments and we have the idea today, well, it used to be that that was serious, but today it's, it's not a serious thing anymore. Well, friend, in God's eyes, it is a serious thing. Still is, nothing's changed. God is the same yesterday and today and forever, according to scripture. So this issue of justification, all right? God himself, what justification is, God himself declares a person as righteous. It is a declaration. This is justification. In Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, it says this, be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, referring to Jesus Christ, referring to Jesus Christ that he died on the cross, paid the sin debt that we owe, and rose from the grave to prove it was done, be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, the sending away, the dismissal of sins. Verse 39, and by him, all that believe are justified, there it is, from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses, which is the commandments, okay? One theologian said this, to justify is to declare righteous. It is a judicial term indicating that a verdict of acquittal has been announced excluding all possibility of condemnation. The claims of God's law against the sinner have been fully satisfied. So God can say, you are justified. I declare you as righteous. And folks, it is all based on the payment Jesus made on the cross. It isn't something that we can achieve. It isn't something that we can deserve because we have already, if you look at us, what you see is you see people who are guilty in the courtroom of God, people who are condemned in the courtroom of God, people who have a death sentence on them in the courtroom of God. Yet Jesus came into the picture and said, hold on, Father, I love them so much, I will pay their debt. I will be their substitute. And when Jesus died on the cross, that's exactly what he did. He paid our sin debt. He paid as our substitute. He died in our place so that we would not have to die and pay for our sins. And when we put our faith in him, that he was our substitute who made that payment, God looks at us and he says, not guilty. Why? Because the payment had been made when God poured his wrath out on his son on the cross. Romans chapter three, a couple verses here, important verses here in Romans, not that they're not all important. Every every word, every letter is important. Look at the language here. Remember, the word justify means to declare as righteous, okay? Listen, when you get saved, justification is a result of you putting your faith in Christ. Justification is not you putting your faith in Christ, When you put your faith in Christ, God saves you, he cleanses you of all your sin, he gives you eternal life, and he declares you as righteous as a result of what he has done for you. In Romans 3.28, it says this, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, declared righteous by faith, look what it says, without the deeds of the law. Do you know what that means? You don't mix faith in Christ with good works. You will not be saved if you do that because you are saying, okay, Jesus is part of the solution. 
I'm the other part of the solution. God says, no, Jesus is the solution. Your good works have no part in saving you according to scripture. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without, without the deeds of the law. There are no good deeds of any kind that can be mixed with faith as a basis of salvation. God's sole condition for salvation is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Thus, based on the finished work of Christ, God is satisfied with the payment made for our offenses, the payment made by Jesus Christ. Look at chapter five, verse one. It says this, therefore being justified by faith, how are we justified? How are we declared righteous? By faith, not by works, because you got to be perfect to get to heaven. None of us are, therefore we're disqualified. It has to be another way, and it is. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, folks, God is the judge and he is the executor of wrath. When we trust in Jesus Christ, though, we are declared righteous and we have that moment peace with God. We have been declared righteous. We have been Saved. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, okay? If you were to, uh, to bear down or, or drill down in that, the, the verb tense there, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I can say when I trusted Christ the Savior, a second after I trusted Christ, it was appropriate for me to say, not only am I saved, I could say I have been saved. In other words, it happens in a moment of time, never to be changed. And when I trusted Christ and God saved me, he declared me once and for all as righteous. Now listen, if the God of heaven, the judge of the universe, the keeper, of the gates of heaven. And by the way, it's not Peter. Who gave him the job? Not God. Peter doesn't listen. What Folks, when you die and you go to heaven, you're not going to see Peter at the gates. Okay? He's just been enjoying heaven like everybody else for 2,000 years. God is the one who takes care of that. There are no good deeds that can be mixed with faith. Okay? So we are, when we trust Christ, we are justified. That is the past tense of salvation. We have been declared as righteous. But secondly, and now here's where a lot of confusion comes in. Those who believe you can lose your salvation or those who believe you have to behave yourself to keep your salvation, this is where they go off track. So there's the past tense of salvation, which is the truth of justification. And then there is the truth of sanctification. Sanctification is the present tense of salvation. It is deliverance from the power of sin. Justification was deliverance from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is deliverance from the power of sin. We have not only been saved, now listen carefully, See what people do is they will hone in on sanctification and they'll say, well, no, you can't say you're saved. You can only say you're being saved. You might say, well, pastor, which one is right? We have been saved or we're being saved. I would say yes. You might say, now I'm really confused. Well, that's why you're here today. So we can get a handle on this, okay? We are being saved. In a sense, we are being saved, but that doesn't mean we haven't been saved. See, sanctification has to do with the 
power of sin in our lives as believers. Remember, do you remember what the word saved means? It means to be delivered, to be delivered. I have been justified, therefore I have been delivered from the penalty of my sins, never to be changed again. But see, what God wants to do in my daily life as a believer, I am alive I am living my life. I'm still in this world. God wants to deliver me from the power of sin in my life. Yes, there is. By the way, if you're a saved person, you still have a sin nature, and therefore you do still sin. You do still sin. So how do you deal with that? Now, some Christians today, they have this idea. Well, you know what? Who cares? I've been justified, I've been declared righteous, therefore I don't care about sin in my life because it's all under the blood. Well, friend, you're out of the will of God. You don't understand what scripture wants for your life. As one pastor said, you don't get better to get saved, you get saved to get better. The idea of us becoming better in our daily walk has to do with this issue of sanctification. Sanctification has to do with the Christian life. It is deliverance from the power of sin. We have not only been saved, we are being saved. The word sanctify means to set apart, to make pure and holy. It shares the same root word as the word holy, as the word saint. They're all related. And sometimes it's translated as pure in scripture. It's all related. Sanctification in itself. Now here's where a lot of the confusion comes in. Sanctification in itself has three tenses or parts to it. There's a positional sanctification. Now remember, the word sanctify means to to set apart. So there's a positional sanctification. What does that mean? That means when I trusted Christ the Savior, he set me apart for himself. He sanctified me. He made me pure and holy, positionally, going along with that came when I was justified, when I had trusted Christ as my Savior. There's positional, and there's progressive or experiential, and then there's ultimate sanctification. Now, what is this positional sanctification? That is what takes place the moment a person understands they can't save themselves and they put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That person is therefore that moment set apart to God. He is made pure and holy. That is our position in Christ. I can say to you today, I have been sanctified. Hebrews 10, verses 10 and 14 make it very, very clear. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what Paul is talking about when he talks to the Corinthian believers. These people in the city of Corinth, these people had trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. They had eternal life. And he, even though, as we know from the book of 1 Corinthians, these people were not living godly Christian lives like they should have been. And by the way, he rebukes them for that. He doesn't question their salvation. He rebukes them because of their purposeful disconnect with what they are in Christ. He tells them, wait a minute, you guys have forgotten here. You guys are saints, by the way, sanctified. That's what it's related to, okay, set apart. 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified, do you see it? To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called, literally, saints. 
The words to be there are italicized. They're not in the original. This is a positional declaration. They have been sanctified. They have been set apart. They are called saints. Sanctified, saint, same root word. Greek word hagias is the root here. It means to set apart, to make pure and holy. Now here he's talking to these Corinthian people and they were not living like they were saints. They were living still like they were lost. But what does he say about them? He says, you are sanctified. You are saints. Listen, folks, listen. No church, no religion has a right, has the authority to make somebody a saint. God is the only one who makes a person a saint. And when do they become a saint? The moment they trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, they are saints, they are sanctified, they are set apart, they are made pure and holy. That's our position in Christ. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So there's a positional setting apart. There's a positional sanctification. But then there is a progressive sanctification. Now this is one, I want you to think about this for a moment. Because when we talk about progressive sanctification, we are not talking about live a faithful life and you'll make it to heaven one day. No, no, no. Your faithfulness will not get you to heaven. When we talk about it being progressive, we are talking about this has to do with the Christian life, okay? When you think about the word progressive, don't think about insurance companies now. When you think about the word progressive having to do with the Christian life, think about Christian growth as a Christian. That's the idea, having to do with the Christian life. This sanctification is what we experience as Christians as we walk by faith in the Lord, surrendered to him and obedient to his word. What's he doing when we do that? He is more and more in our experience, setting us apart to himself, making us more pure in our character as believers. We already have a positional purity and sanctification. God wants us to continue to be transformed in our character. That has to do with our life now, here and now. That's present. This is being saved from the power of sin on a daily basis and being transformed into his image in our character. This has to do with Christian growth as a believer. And this is where a lot of people say, well, wait, the Bible says I need to be sanctified as a believer. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you weren't sanctified. It's saying you need to grow. We need to become more and more like Christ. How? By faith in him and then by yielding our will to him and walking according to his word. God then continues to change us. And that's what Christian maturity and growth is all about. That has no bearing on where you're going when you die. It's the fruit or the experience of that eternal life. It has to do with the abundant life like we like we were talking about on Wednesday night. 1 Peter chapter 1 or chapter 2 verse 2. Peter says this as newborn babes, as new Christians, okay? Or just like newborn babies, and he writes to Christians and he says this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Christian growth has to do with the present tense of salvation and sanctification. Make no mistake about it. Growth in the Christian life is the express will of God for every Christian. 
God does not want children to be born into his family and then they never grow, they never mature. Now it's possible for that to happen. If you don't want to cooperate with God once you're saved, you won't grow the way you should. We will not grow the way we should. And while that's possible, it's not the will of God. God wants us to mature. Nothing could be clearer from scripture than that. We are able to become more and more like Christ in our lives and character as we let the Lord have his way in our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 15, it says this, but as he which hath called you, he which hath called us, that's the Lord, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy for I am am holy. Now I can hear all the carnal believers all around the planet saying this, well, that's impossible. I've been told that by people. I can't be holy as God is holy. That's impossible. I'm just a sinner. At least I admit it. Okay. And they think they're being spiritual in their declaration of their carnality. Did you catch that? Friend, let me tell you something. We can be holy as God is holy. No, we'll never be perfectly holy in this life, but we can be holy as he is holy as we walk in fellowship with him. Yielded to him, walking by faith, obedient to his word, and we will experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is holy, described by a a holy character. That's how it's done. Now, can we go backwards? Yes, we can go backwards as well. But make no mistake about it, God wants his children to live godly lives. You know, it's, it's amazing, some of the very ones who talk about, well, you know what, God wants us to be Christ-like. Do not cooperate with God in allowing him to make us Christ-like. It's a mistake. The Christian life has to do with growing and maturing in our spiritual lives, listen, to where our position in Christ which is our eternal standing in Christ, is reflected in our condition or the way we live our lives. Look up here. Our position in Christ is perfect, absolute perfection, the righteousness of God. Do we see that? That does not change. The moment you get saved, you have that, the righteousness of God, his righteousness, the moment you get saved. But in our lives, we're far below that, aren't we? far below that. What does God want us to do? He wants us to allow God to work in our lives. This is sanctification. He wants us to allow him to work in our lives. And as we grow as Christians, he is bringing our condition of our lives more in line with our position in Christ. We are becoming more Christ-like. Now you notice I'm going like this with my hands. I'm not experiencing cramps or anything. It's just that it doesn't go like this. Some people talk about, woo, I experienced a new plateau. No, you didn't. Or if you did, the only way you're going to stay there is walking by faith. Because the truth of it is, you could crash, and we all could, but you'll never burn. Some of you got that. (laughs) Mid-morning, I get it if you didn't get it yet. Our position in Christ is perfect. Our condition is not But you know what? The Christian life, yes, there's ups and downs. There's ups and downs. Hopefully, we're having more ups than downs. And you know what? Every one of us should say who've been saved any length of time, years of time, we should be able to say, you know what? Yes, God's done a work in my life, and I am not perfect by any means, and I can certainly sin every single day. 
But here's the thing, God has made me. I have experienced some Christian growth in my life as a believer. Folks, that's biblical. That's biblical. We can't argue that. But it's not automatic. That's the point that gets argued. And by the way, that's pretty much the rest of the series. Look with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so again, unless you understand these three aspects to sanctification, past, present, and future, you'll get confused by passages that we're going to, such as the one we're going to look at right now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says in verse 1, now remember, Paul is writing to the church, the believers in Thessalonica. These are saints, these are believers, these are people who are already saved. But he says to them, furthermore, then we beseech you, what's he call them? Brethren, these are saved brothers and sisters in Christ. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk, live your life, and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. That's Christian growth. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Wait a minute, I thought you said I'm already sanctified. You have been. But there's a present aspect to this. And that's what he's talking about, the Christian life. He's not talking about being set apart and made pure and holy positionally. He's talking about being set apart and made pure and holy in your daily walk. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Do we get that? Fornication, sexual immorality of any kind, whether it's single people together, whether it's uh, married people or single person with a married person, vice versa, okay? The only proper place that there should be any sexual relationship is within a marriage. And by the way, that means a man and wife. Let me clarify. That means a man and woman. Okay? Boy, this is ridiculous. You've got to part this stuff. Isn't it ridiculous? Well, I just don't know what I am. You've got to be kidding me. Just examine yourself, friend. You'll figure it out, okay? You'll figure it out. Verse 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto, there's the word again, holiness, sanctification, by the way. Holiness, purity of life. That's what God's called every child of God to. And if we cooperate with him, he's going to take us and he is going to be working in our lives to make us more and more like Christ. I love that. See, that's why salvation, when you get saved, it's only the beginning. So we have been saved. And as we are going on in a Christian life, and as we're cooperating with God, we are being delivered, saved from the power of sin in our lives. But then there's one last aspect of sanctification, and I call it ultimate sanctification. Ultimate. Now, what is that? That is when we will be completely set apart from the world to Christ when Jesus comes back to take us home to heaven. John the Apostle gave us a wonderful promise to look forward to, and I want you to see this. Look with me to 1 John chapter 3, towards the end of your New Testament. 1 John chapter 3. Oh, listen, I get, I get tired of hearing preachers and teachers say, well, you know what? First John was written to find out whether you're saved or not. No, it wasn't. It was written to prove whether you're saved or not. No, it wasn't. If you read First John 1, it tells us why it was written, that your joy may be full and that you may have fellowship. 
with the Lord. First John is a test of fellowship. It's not a, it's not a test of salvation. He's testing whether we're in fact walking in fellowship with God or not. That's what First John is all about. Not to say, well, I wonder if you're saved or not. If you're not doing these things, you're not saved. Oh my, there's so many study Bibles and Bible commentaries that are not right on that. First John 3, verse 2, John says this, and by the way, why would he call them beloved? Why would he call them sons of God if he's questioning their salvation? He's not questioning their salvation. He's questioning whether they're walking in fellowship with God or not. In 1 John 3, 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Sounds like assurance of salvation to me. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Notice he says we's, including himself with them. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's ultimate sanctification. That's ultimate Christ-likeness. Watch this, verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him, this hope means, it's a Greek word, peace. it means joyful anticipation. You look forward with joy to seeing the Lord. And every man that hath this hope in him, what does he do? He purifies himself, even as he, the Lord, is pure. If I'm anticipating seeing the Lord, it's going to have an effect on how I live my life. If I believe Jesus could come back at any moment and take me home, it's going to have a profound effect on how I live my life. Same with you. We don't have it projected, but just right before these verses, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and now little children abide in him, walk in fellowship with him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He doesn't say that when he shall appear, if you're not behaving yourself, you'll be left. Nowhere in the Bible. Once you're saved, you're saved forever, no matter what. One day we will be ultimately set apart from the world, the flesh and the devil, when we are taken home to be with the Lord. And by the way, that leads us to our third and last aspect of salvation or scope, our third part of the scope of salvation. And it is the truth of glorification. This is the future tense of salvation, very much related to ultimate sanctification. Glorification is when we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. Now listen, let's review. Justification, delivered from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, delivered from the power of sin. Glorification, delivered from the presence of sin. One study Bible explains it this way, quote, glorification is the ultimate salvation of the whole person. This occurs when we are face to face with our Savior. At that time, God will completely mold us into the image of Christ, unquote. And that is coming for anyone who's trusted Christ as Savior. For some Christians, it'll be more of a change than others. Some got saved and really didn't grow much as believers. They are still going to be glorified. It is the ultimate salvation of the Christian in every way. We will ultimately be saved from this world into the very presence of God forever. And folks, that's as much of a guarantee for every Christian as any other because it's a promise based on God's promise. So we've been declared righteous, we have been sanctified, okay? We're being sanctified, we will one day be ultimately sanctified, set apart, and that will take place when we're glorified. Now, 
Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. We don't have time to show you passage upon passage upon passage of this truth. But did you know that the Bible actually refers in certain passages to all three tenses of salvation? All three. See, God wants us to get a handle on this. And that's why, by the way, read your Bible. Read your Bible. And let me say this in parentheses or in in a bracket. Read your Bible more than you read your study notes in your Bible, if you have a study Bible. Now, there are some good things about some study Bibles, but, you know, the safest Bible is one like this. It's nothing but text. Titus 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation. There you go. What tense of salvation does that refer to? Justification. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that has to do with sanctification. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. Oh, that refers to glorification. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself. Purify. Guess what? You guessed it. Root word, hagias, sanctified, pure and holy, holy, saint, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That doesn't mean a weirdo. It means unique, zealous. Notice this, zealous of good works. God wants to produce in the life of a Christian good works. You don't get to heaven by good works, but God has saved us unto good works. Is it automatic? No, it's not automatic. You have to cooperate with God. So the grace of God that brings salvation, justification, Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Sanctification. Looking for the blessed hope. Glorification. Notice, by the way, according to Titus 2, 11 through 14, that a proper understanding of salvation by grace does not lead to licentious living. It leads to holy living, godly living. But it all begins with trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that, by the way, is a gift, friend. I don't want you to misunderstand. That is a gift. You know what that means? When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, God saves you forever. Whether you go on and live a life submitted to the Lord or not, it doesn't change your eternal destiny because that's your position in Christ. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace are ye saved... Through faith. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It is the gift of God, referring back to salvation. Not of works, lest any man should boast. See, the person who trusts Christ as Savior is safe and secure for all eternity. No matter what he does, he's safe and secure. He's received eternal life. He's been declared righteous by God. God says you'll never come into condemnation. You've passed from death unto life. But remember, when you get saved, that's the beginning. It's not the end. It's a new birth. You've been born again. Born again. So the person who trusts Christ the Savior is safe and secure forever. From that day on, the Lord starts working in his life to bring him to maturity and to make him more and more like Christ in his character. However, the believer needs to cooperate with the Lord for those wonderful changes to take place. To the extent he cooperates, 
the life has changed. To the extent he rebels, the life has not changed for the positive. In all of this, we have the wonderful promise, though, that regardless of our successes and failures, we will see the Lord one day and be taken up into his presence, perfectly glorified and given a new body. That's the promise of God. Make no mistake about it. One more passage. Look with me to Philippians chapter 3. It says in verse 20, for our conversation, the word conversation here doesn't mean talk, it means our citizenship. In other words, talking about our home. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that's glorification, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Is it any wonder that the Bible talks about our salvation as being so great a salvation. All of these things come into existence. All of these things start happening the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are justified from your past sins. You are sanctified, set apart, made pure and holy. Okay, And then you can experience that in your Christian life. And then God has promised we will be glorified one day It's all part of the package, folks. There's no such thing as getting justified and then not having the other two, okay? They're there. When you get saved, you're set apart, you're made holy. And because of being justified, set apart, made holy, we also have the promise with that that we are gonna be one day glorified in the presence of God. It's part of the package. As a matter of fact, remember Romans 8 says we have been glorified? I have been You might say, wait a minute, you're still here. In eternity, as God sees me, I have been glorified. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.